This is The Guardian. Today, burner phones, forensics and a seized motorhome. What is going on in the SMP? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's been a month since Scotland got its new leader, Humza Youssef. It is hard for me to find the words to describe just how honoured I am to be entrusted by our membership. Throughout the SNP's election campaign, Yusuf billed himself as the continuity candidate, promising that he'd carry on the legacy that Nicola Sturgeon had left. I will work every minute of every day to earn and to re-earn your respect and your trust. Now, though, that legacy is looking complicated. The optics are not great. Police Scotland preserving the home of Nicola Sturgeon as a crime scene. Well, it was pretty dramatic footage of the home that Nicola Sturgeon, the former SNP leader, and Peter Morrow, her husband, and former SNP chief executive, share in this quiet, fairly well-to-do estate in Uddingston, southeast of Glasgow. Police have set up an incident tent in the front garden. Every room in this property is being searched. There's even police looking through the back garden and the back garden shed. Items of interest are being boxed up and taken away. With this massive blue forensic tent erected across the front door, police tape all around, police officers have ranged in front. Across in Edinburgh, the SNP party headquarters getting the same treatment. Subtle it was not. As officers trooped into the building, a stone's throw from the Scottish Parliament itself. A couple who have dominated the Scottish political landscape for decades, that sense of, of shock is very apparent you know, right across the SNP right now. Police Scotland are investigating the SNP for possible fraud. They want to find out where more than £600,000, which was donated to the party to help them run an independence campaign, has gone. Reportedly, they're looking at whether it's been spent on things as various as a fridge freezer, luxury pens and a motorhome come campaign bus. And what's on the SIM cards of the burner phones that the SNP's top team were allegedly using? They also want to know why Peter Murrell, Sturgeon's husband, lent the party a hundred grand of his own money. And as the details of this investigation come out day by day, It's Humza Youssef who's left to answer awkward questions about what happened before he became leader. 
When did you first hear the news about the arrest and what was your reaction? I was told uh, this morning after the event um, and of course my reaction as you'd imagine uh, much like anybody involved in, in the SNP is that this is a difficult day uh, for the party. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, the unravelling of the SNP. Libby Brooks, you're The Guardian's Scotland correspondent, and it's been only a month since Humza Yusuf won the SNP leadership, so this should be a real honeymoon period for him, but instead he's been having to spend his time answering very difficult questions about the SNP. And last week he had to actually reassure reporters that the party's not a criminal organisation. What's going on? You're absolutely right. It has been an extraordinary few weeks for the SNP and its new leader and really all revolves around this Police Scotland investigation called Operation Branch Form which was launched in July 2021 following complaints about the SNP's handling of more than £600,000 worth of donations which were raised by the party ostensibly to campaign for a second independence referendum. And it's alleged that the money was used instead to help with the party's day-to-day running costs. And the the individuals who are, are being scrutinised in this include Peter Murrell, the until recently chief executive of the SNP, who is also the husband of Nicola Sturgeon, the former... SNP leader and First Minister, and also Colin Beatty, who was the SNP's treasurer until he stepped back last week. So give me a sense of the timeline on all of this then. So less than a week after Hamza Youssef was sworn in as First Minister, we saw Peter Murrell arrested, as well as a two-day search of the home that he shares with Nicola Sturgeon in Uddingston, And we also saw this incredibly dramatic footage of police officers surrounding the the couple's detached house. They erected this large forensic tent across the front door, cordon off the pavement with, with police tape. And whilst that was going on in Edinburgh, we also had police officers closing off the SNP's headquarters under warrant and carrying in large plastic crates. We've also had reports that a luxury motorhome, apparently owned by Peter Murrell, was seized by police. Now it's reported another police raid, this time at Peter Murrell's mother's home, 50 miles away. A £100,000 luxury motorhome was reportedly wheeled away from the house in Fife as part of the active investigation into SNP finances around the... I don't think I need to underline to you how hugely damaging that was both for Sturgeon and Murrell personally, but but also for for the party. Stephen Flynn, the SNP's Westminster leader, was asked about it. His response to it was so telling. He said, it's hard to get the imagery of the tent out of your mind, isn't it? And he sounded so kind of shocked and bemused. It was almost like it it wasn't happening to his own party. And, And again, I think that speaks to a wider sort of shock that uh, a lot of SNP members and parliamentarians are, are feeling at the moment. 
it really was very, very surreal, wasn't it? And Murrell was uh, arrested but released without charge. That is correct. He was released without charge pending further investigation. Then a week later, it emerged that the SNP's auditors had actually quit last September. It was uh, announced uh, that uh, the auditors, that's a company called Johnston Carmichael, uh, had uh, ceased working for the SNP. And it was only today when Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Youssef was being uh, quizzed by journalists, he was asked, well, when did that happen? And he revealed it was back in October, more than six months ago. So that has prompted accusations of a cover-up and claims that the party has hid the fact that uh, the auditors have... Uh, this fact was kept from leadership candidates and the National Executive Committee, uh, and the SNP is now at significant risk of missing its July deadline for submitting audited accounts to the Electoral Commission and uh, yeah, risks a, a heavy fine with that. So the problems had been piling up, and then last week... As Hamza Youssef was about to make his first big speech as party leader, another story broke about the party's finances, didn't it? It was the first week back at Holyrood after the Easter recess. This was supposed to be the moment that Hamza Youssef was going to reset and refocus on the way ahead. And instead, hours before making you know, this, this first major statement to the Holyrood Chamber, he finds himself besieged by reporters who are asking questions about this latest arrest, which is of the SNP treasurer, Colin Beatty. Uh, that happens just sort of early in the morning. Have you suspended him from the party? Or the group? I've said already that people are innocent until proven guilty. That's the premise. Will you take him off the public audit committee in the meantime? Look, again, I'll consider that. I'll have to speak to Colin Beatty. My understanding is he's still in the police station being questioned. Uh, clearly, when he's uh, uh, off that, I'll have to have a word with Colin, not about the live police investigation. We can't speak about the detail of that. Uh, but clearly, there are pertinent issues around his role, public audit committee, and his role, of course, as the national treasurer. Are you surprised that he's been arrested? Uh, well, yes, of course, I'm surprised. One of my colleagues uh, has been uh, arrested. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a very serious matter, indeed. BT was, again, released without charge and later stepped back from his role as treasurer. And Beatty's arrest then added to feverish speculation that Sturgeon herself might be next on Police Scotland's list. The SNP have consistently denied any wrongdoing and of course everyone is innocent unless they're proven guilty. But has Nicola Sturgeon had anything to say about all this? Well, actually, on, on Tuesday this week, Nicola Sturgeon was at the Scottish Parliament where she made the most comprehensive statement that she has done since her husband's arrest. Uh, look, the last few weeks have been very, very difficult and I don't think anybody would believe me if I said uh, anything other than that. I've had you know, many difficult periods in a political career that has lasted uh, over several decades now. I think you can uh, safely say that the last few weeks have uh, been amongst the most difficult, but it is what it is. It was interesting watching her as, as somebody who's seen her deliver statements and off-the-cuff remarks and speeches over many years. She is normally very calm and measured in her delivery. And uh, on Tuesday, you could hear the stress and the tension 
in her voice. You know, at one point, her voice was really cracking as she was describing how difficult she had found the events of the last few weeks and also underlining how frustrating she found it. Look, one of the frustrating things just now, and I'm not complaining about this, I understand the process that is underway, but one of the frustrating aspects of that is that I'm not able to uh, give my version of what is going on just now. Hopefully uh, the time will come when I can do that, so I appreciate... The- Sturgeon was also asked on Tuesday if she had been questioned by police yet, and she said no, she had not. In February, when Nicola Sturgeon resigned, which was a shock. She said she was exhausted. At the press conference after that, reporters asked whether the police investigation into the party's finances had had any bearing on her decision, to which she said no. And then again, this this came up this week, didn't it? Yes, it has. Do you owe Hamza Youssef an apology for the state you've handed the party to him in? I think Hamza's doing very, very difficult circumstances, uh, an outstanding job. Uh, I have... Uh, become ever more convinced, and I was already uh, convinced of this, that he's going to be a very fine uh, First Minister. I understand uh, the uh, the view that some people might have, that I knew this was all about to unfold, and that's why I walked away. Nothing could be further from the truth. I could not have anticipated in my worst nightmares uh, what would have unfolded over uh, the past few weeks. We also heard from Colin Beatty, who was speaking to journalists for the first time, since he was questioned by police. What did he have to say? Well, he he was, like Sturgeon, unable to to speak to the ongoing police investigation, but he did throw in a bit of detail about this now infamous camper van, saying that he had not been aware of its purchase at the time. Libby, the SNP has been in power for 19 years, so you'd assume that the party was being run competently. How could they have allowed these financial issues to come about? Speaking to a really wide range of members, activists, officials, all of them refer to this pivot point as they see it immediately after Scotland's first independence referendum in September 2014 when there was this explosion in SNP membership. You know, as as one ex-minister put it to me, that was a point where party governance became non-existent. The infrastructure didn't grow with it. They simply sort of relied on on the old mechanisms for far too long. And, you know, there is this sense that, that the party simply did not reform and I think it's also worth pointing out that it's, it's not just finances that have been causing members' concern. You know, what really emerged from the leadership contest is, is how much needed to change inside the party. These really long-running concerns about, for example, the imposition of HQ-approved candidates, very poor handling of harassment complaints, poor membership consultation... And so, you know, it did really feel that there was a clamour for internal party reform even before these arrests and this uh, unravelling began. Gosh, so yeah, all sorts of complaints about how things were being run. Didn't the top team try and do anything to sort those problems out? One thing that 
a number of senior party sources have described to me is the pressure that a relatively small team of people at headquarters was under and almost this kind of stasis that resulted. So you had the party bouncing from election campaign to you know massive conference venue to another election campaign. There was never really time to do anything more than you know, at best, triage those sorts of concerns or eventually, I think, just ignore longer term issues. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of concentrating power, even before Sturgeon was confirmed as the SNP's leader in 2014, both people within the SNP and journalists were asking whether it was appropriate for Peter Murrell to carry on as the chief exec. He'd been in that position a while already, several years, but with her becoming leader, it is an unusual setup, isn't it, to have a couple in the most prominent positions within the party? It is, and, and again, it's um, it's fascinating how these sort of arrangements come about. And Peter Murrell established his reputation in transforming the party's electoral prospects whilst his wife was, you know, lower lower down in the party or coming up to, to deputy leader. One source who worked with both Sturgeon and um, Salmon, the previous party leader, just said, you know, it didn't seem to be a problem, pointing out that Scottish politics is a very small world. And, and so I think what also happened was you had this blurring of lines between government and party and... A lot of the party machinery was increasingly brought in to project the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, the brand. And again, you know, let's not forget that was a hugely successful and election winning formula. But, you know, with that concentration on one individual at at the very top, a great deal else was uh, being ignored. Coming up, can Humza Youssef sort out the party's problems? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Libby, the police are obviously taking these allegations about financial mismanagement seriously, but I wonder how interested people in Scotland are. You know, they'll have seen the images of the forensics tent and heard about the motorhome. But beyond those details, this maybe isn't very juicy to read about. How much attention do people actually seem to be paying to what's going on? So I, I guess I have to say at this point that, that whether the allegations are juicy or not probably depends which media outlet you are reading. For example, okay. you know, we had the Sunday Mail up here last weekend with sources close to the police investigation talking about uh, officers searching for SIM cards from burner phones and investigating the purchase of luxury pens, designer kitchenware, and even a fridge freezer. And all of this being being scrutinized as, as part of the investigation as as well as this uh, aforementioned luxury motorhome. In in terms of how this is impacting on public opinion, I think the, there is certainly a widening gap between the level of support for the SNP and that for independence. That's something that has been sort of particularly noted by Professor Sir John Curtis, um, who's Professor of Politics at Strathclyde University. He's pointing out that you know recent polling shows that support for the SNP in the next Westminster election has come down several points since Nicola Sturgeon announced her intention to resign. But those same polls, the the average support for independence is is still around 48%, um, you know, and hasn't been affected by either her resignation or the uh, ensuing revelations. Well, that's a big opportunity for their rivals and especially Scottish Labour to to capitalise on this sense of chaos and, and try and win support. Oh, yes. All opposition parties are revelling in in this at the moment. Scottish Labour leader Anas Sarwar is going very hard on this. But what Hamza Yusuf can't escape from is that he is not now running a functioning government. This is an SNP that is mired in scandal, mired in division, talking to themselves about themselves. And the crisis that now engulfs the SNP is not just an indication of how they govern their party, but also how they govern our country. They also have this prospect of an imminent by-election in Rutherglen and Hamilton West, and UK Labour believes it is on the brink of winning back a run of Scottish seats from the nationalists at the next general election. They're pouring in resources for local activists, and we've had Keir Starmer visiting regularly since Nicola Sturgeon stepped down. The Scottish Lib Dem leader, Alex Cole-Hamilton, said that Yusuf's policy relaunch had been 
utterly torpedoed by the chaos in the SNP. What do you take away from the way Yusuf is handling this? It is a point of really unprecedented scrutiny for him. It's notable just in recent weeks how open he's been with the media. Uh, he's currently you know, surrounded by a swarm of reporters whenever he steps out of the ministerial lift uh, to, to go to the chamber in, in Holyrood. The problem for him is that he's regularly asked questions that he doesn't know the answer to or mm. which he then has to sort of reveal he only recently found out about, um, you know, for example, with the resignation of the party's auditors. And so on the one hand, his frankness is appreciated, but he's also kind of ending up the king of understatement. For example, he said it would have been helpful if he'd been warned about the auditors before he was elected. And when he was asked about Colin Beattie last week, he came out with, of course, I'm surprised when one of my colleagues has been arrested. I mean, he actually looks quite stunned when you see him answering questions about this. I know, because he's sort of running to catch up as, you know, as everyone else is. And certainly party members that I speak to know that there's a change of tone as well. So even even with the very physical demands of Ramadan fasting, because Yusuf is a practicing Muslim, he was very visible, inviting the media to Butte House for a fireside briefing, campaigning at the weekends with activists. He emailed party members to reassure them very soon after Peter Morrow's arrest. And yeah, I've had a lot of members, as well as sort of parliamentarians, saying that that's a, a real difference just in acknowledging that there are problems going on. Yusuf, during his election campaign, kept calling himself the continuity candidate, meaning that he'd carry Sturgeon's legacy on. Does it seem like he's going to do that? Well, that was always going to be the, the challenge for him, how he was going to differentiate himself from his hugely popular predecessor. And obviously, that has become really critical now following these arrests and these revelations. I think it was notable in that policy launch, if it was really noticeable how he delayed or redrew or reversed a number of Nicholas Sturgeon's key policies. And very significantly, I thought, he also acknowledged how the relationship between government and business had broken down during the last administration. And he, you know, he spoke directly to business leaders and pledged that there was going to be a reset in that. We also need some government regulation of business. The business community itself recognises that an unrestricted market is incompatible with the well-being of our people, our communities and, of course, our environment. But the balance here needs to be right. A number of business organisations have expressed concern in recent months about the balance that the Scottish Government has been striking. In fact, they have called for a reset of the relationship between business and government. And I'm happy to start that reset today. But and having said that, it was his commitment to Sturgeon's progressive left-of-centre agenda that, that defined his leadership campaign and boosted him over the line, one assumes, and in his policy statement. But he pledged, for example, further redistributive tax reform to tackle child poverty. He has gone ahead with the challenge to 
the UK government's veto on the gender recognition reform bill, which was one of Sturgeon's flagship policies. And he's been to see Rishi Sunak this week, hasn't he? That's right. And and indeed, that was that was one of the subjects that, that was up for discussion. It does sound like it was a fairly robust discussion, particularly around the UK government's veto of the gender reform bill and also around the UK government's ongoing refusal to grant Hollywood the powers to hold a second independence referendum. And Yusuf spokesperson said at the end of the meeting that, that he had raised what he described as these attacks on, on Scottish democracy. In the round of interviews he gave, he was also calling on Labour leader Keir Starmer to respect the will of the Scottish people. And if he sort of got into power in, in Downing Street at the next election to allow a second independence referendum. Kate Forbes narrowly missed out on becoming leader. She got 48% of the vote to Yusuf's 52%. And people who support the SNP might look at what's happened in the past few weeks and say, we shouldn't have voted for continuity. We should have voted for Kate Forbes and and a different style of politics. Are you getting that there's a sense of that among SNP supporters? It certainly is. It's the case that the election result was bracingly close. And Yusuf himself hasn't had time to actually look at, at bringing the party back together again. But again, it's a number of senior party figures have said to me over the last couple of weeks that there is sort of an interesting split between the MSPs and MPs who largely endorsed Yusuf and the rank and file membership who voted for, for Forbes and perhaps because they were getting very cross with the way that the party was run and actually sort of that that split is is going to be a really fundamental issue for the party in the months to come. And as well as serving the people of Scotland, Yusuf's also been elected to try and achieve independence. What does all this mess mean for that mission? Well, you know, not for the first time it calls into question whether the SNP is the only and best electoral vehicle for achieving independence. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Mike Russell, the party's president and you know, veteran of the nationalist movement, saying that the party is facing its biggest crisis in 50 years and saying that he didn't think that independence could be achieved right now. I guess this needs to be balanced with the fact that both leading candidates for SNP leadership, both Yusuf and Forbes, set out in their campaigns that that they you know wanted to get away from arguing for another referendum and back to policy that would actually convince wavering voters that they wanted to vote for separation from the UK well it feels like every day at the moment we're finding out more things about how the SNP has been running what could happen next for the party we're at this point now of kind of unprecedented scrutiny on both government and party and is just such a difficult balancing act for Hamza Yusuf to achieve, I think. 
we have this clamour for internal party reform that I've talked about. He has pledged to review governance uh, and transparency within the party. He also needs to appoint a new chief executive. These hard deadlines as well to find new auditors for the party. And meanwhile, let's not forget Scotland, which is facing record A&E delays, massive cancer and surgery waiting lists, looking like they might be missing targets on emissions and child poverty. This bulging entry that Yusuf has to deal with as well as this turmoil in the party. And I suppose what, what we've seen just over the last two weeks is just this, this sort of chaos at the heart of the SNP exerting this centrifugal force on on Yusuf and his attempts to establish himself as new leader both of party and of country. And it's an almighty struggle for him. Libby, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Libby Brooks. You can keep up with her reporting from Scotland at theguardian.com. And hopefully by now, you'll have heard some of The Guardian's podcast series, Cotton Capital. It's been an absolutely fascinating exploration of the paper's historic links to transatlantic slavery. And in the first three episodes, the teams travelled from Manchester to Jamaica and the US. Episode four has come out this week, and it's from Brazil, which is the country where more African people were taken as slaves than any other. The episode examines how that history is still affecting Brazil today. To have a listen to that, just search for Cotton Capital wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Natalie Chtena and Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.